Well, good morning. It is good to be back here at Aloha. I've had a long association uh, with this church and with people in this church. Um, this week, uh, we come to the end of, well, we started August now, but in the Gill family, this has been a month of celebration. Uh, we had on the 1st of July, my wife's birthday. On the 2nd of July, it was my son's birthday. On the 7th of July, it was our 18th wedding anniversary. And then on the 29th of July, it was my daughter's birthday. The 30th of July, it was my birthday. So officially, we've got no money left. So I might take up a special offering a bit later. Who knows? We'll, uh, we'll see. But uh, I was thinking about that. 18 years ago, my, uh, I've been married for 18 years. And I tell people I've been married 18 years and not once thought of divorce. Murder, yes, but divorce, no. I'm just kidding, my mother-in-law's in the audience, I'm just kidding, Jill. Jill. Uh, but I, looking around here, uh, Brother Reyes prayed at our wedding 18 years ago, uh, and seeing Danny and Joyce, I officiated their wedding a few years ago, and now they've got a couple of kids. I don't know how this is all happening, but it's uh, busy, life is full for all of us, life moves on very quickly, but in all of this, one of the things that is stable is the Word of God and our Saviour. And so it's always good for us to come back to the Scriptures regularly to see what God has to say to us. Uh, if you're a bit like me, you can get so busy in the doing of life that you can fail to see the big picture of life, why God has you on this earth and His larger purposes for you. So I'm going to pray that as we come to God's Word this morning, that our souls would be reminded of the truth that is found in Christ and that we would live, leave this place not just being smarter sinners, who know more information, but that we would let the Word of God embed itself in our heart, that it might bring around spiritual transformation. So will you join me as we pray together, and then we'll jump into the Scriptures. Father, we thank you that you are a God who speaks, and we thank you that in these last days you have spoken to us in your Son, the Lord Jesus. I just pray now that as we engage in this letter to the Thessalonian church, that we might, even in the busyness of our schedules, that we might stop, that we might pause, that we might slow down, and that we might hear your voice. Lord, I just pray that as your word speaks to us, for those who need encouragement this morning, that you would provide that. For those of us in this room who perhaps need a, a push or a challenge, that you would point us and convict us and challenge us with your word. But wherever we're at, Lord, I just pray that you might speak to us so that in us you might conform us to the image of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, because we pray for his reputation. Amen. When I grew up, I was attending a little Brethren church, and for those of you not familiar with the Brethren background, I remember people would ask me, oh, you, you go to a Brethren church, what sort of church is that? And the little tagline that I'd sort of heard passed down from me was what I would tell people. I'd say, a Brethren church, it's just kind of like a New Testament church. Then somebody once asked me as a response to that, well, what kind of New Testament church? What's your problems? Are you like Corinth? Are you like Philippi? Are you like Galatia? What's wrong with your place? And it was a very good question. Uh, you see, when you come to the New Testament, the churches of the Scripture are made up of broken people. There was an old Irish preacher who I grew up uh, hearing the Bible taught regularly from who used to say this. He would say, to live above with saints we love, oh, what joy and glory. 
to live below with saints we know, that's a different story. Okay? And the reality is churches are not perfect. In this room, they say if you actually, if you find a perfect church, don't join it because the moment you join it, it won't be perfect anymore. There is no such thing as a perfect church. And yet, it's interesting, earlier this year, I had a chance to have a little bit of time away, and I made my way just reading through the New Testament. And as I read the different letters written to the churches, it's really interesting just the challenges that they face. If you read the book of Galatians, for example, that was a church that had problems. It had to do with law and grace, but it was a church where there was some sort of tension. If you were to read the book of Philippians, you would discover that that was a church that lacked joy. And Paul does a little bit of trouble uh, shooting by trying to help them think through what joy looks like. If you were to go to the book of Ephesians, you would find that there was a tension between Jewish believers and Gentile believers. And yet, as I read through, I finally came to the book of Thessalonians, and it was refreshing to get a book that was written to people where Paul the Apostle simply praises them on this is what a healthy church looks like. It was so refreshing to read Thessalonians because particularly maybe having read the book of Corinthians before it, and that church is like a reality TV show, okay? You look at that church, there's all sorts of mess going on. But when we come to the church of the Thessalonians, we find a healthy church. And that got me thinking, and this is what I would like us to think about this morning. What does a healthy church look like? For you guys, as you move forward as a, a Christian community here in Aloha, what would it look like to be a healthy church? You see, as, if I were to ask you to finish this sen- sentence, a healthy church is dot, 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 how would you complete the sentence? A healthy church is, I put this out there and a few thoughts came to mind. Uh, these would be fairly honest answers. Some people would say a healthy church is growing in numbers. Okay, it's not shrinking, but getting bigger. That's what a healthy church is. Some people would say a healthy church has a dynamic worship experience, a place where you feel genuinely engaged with God. Others would say a healthy church has practical preaching, preaching that's biblical, but also practical, that you can see how it works in life. Some would say a healthy church, the sign of a healthy church, is a great kids' ministry. Okay, not just ministering to older folks, but has a concern for children. Others, a healthy church is one that is friendly to outsiders and has ministry to those outside of the church. Now, I would suggest all of those things are excellent things. All of those things are very good things. And yet, when we come to the book of Thessalonians, Paul is going to open up in the first chapter, and it's a whole chapter, where he's going to give thanks to God for a church, and none of those are given as signs of a healthy church. Paul doesn't focus on numbers. He doesn't focus on what their ministry is to outsiders. He doesn't focus on their singing. He doesn't focus on this is a good church because there's good preaching. He gives us in this passage, at least, I'm just going to focus on five, he's going to give us five character traits of a healthy church for which he can give thanks. And again, I just noticed when you put the uh, Italo mentioned the upcoming series, looking and doing some self-reflection as a church, this is super helpful because if you're going to grow, you need to reflect on what it is God is calling you as a community to be and to do. 
And so it's within that context that we want to evaluate what, at least in the Apostle Paul's mind, a healthy church looked like. And if you've got your Bibles open to 1 Thessalonians, we're just going to meander our way through this, and I'm going to make five observations about a healthy and a holy church. Now, just by way of background, if you've not come to this particular letter, you might have, this might be the first time you're even hearing about this. The Apostle Paul, uh, one of the early statesmen of the Christian faith, is going around and he's equipping churches and he's planting churches, and here he's writing a letter to a young church. And he starts off by giving us the names. Now, ordinarily, when we write a letter, we put to so-and-so. In the ancient world, you normally put your self-identification up front, then you would address the audience, and then you would normally wish them well or pray some sort of blessing. Well, Paul, he's one of these preachers who gets a bit excited. He spends a whole chapter uh, in a prayer of thanksgiving here in this particular passage. But you'll notice who it's written by. Paul, Silas, and Timothy. Now, we know a little bit about Paul, and we know Silas and Timothy, even though we will often refer to this letter being written by uh, Paul, Paul reminds us that this was a ministry team effort. If we were to go back to Acts 17, we would discover when Paul went through um, Thessaloniki, as it's known now, or Thessalonica, he went through with young Silas. And they went there, they were going through preaching the good news of Jesus to all the world as they were commissioned to do, or as the Lord Jesus commissioned his disciples to do. And they made their way to this town of Thessalonica, Paul and Silas. And we read in Acts 17 that they were there at least uh, for three Sabbaths, that is three Friday nights, Saturday nights, three weekends, Paul is there in this town of Thessaloniki preaching the good news. And he's there along with his buddy Silas. Now, you need to know this letter is written to the church of the Thessalonians. Just a little bit about the, the town of Thessalonica. Uh, I'm going there, by the way, next year. You're welcome to join me. Uh, I'm going on an Israel Greece trip, shameless plug. Um, but here's the thing about uh, Thessaloniki. In the ancient world, when Paul is writing, there were two main Greek cities, Athens down in the south and Thessaloniki or Thessalonica up in the north. And Thessalonica had somewhere between 60 and 100,000 people living there. And it was on a road they called the Ignatian Way. It was a road, had a major highway going uh, east to west. If you wanted to go to Rome, you would go through this town. It was known as the mother of Macedonia. It was a significant city. It was built on a port, so there was good access for industry where people could travel uh, and, and whatnot. But here's the thing. It's this strategic city, and Paul goes there to share the good news about Jesus. This town is also known, as they've excavated it, they've found over 25 different deities that were worshipped. It was a religious city. We also know that it was a city that, because it had a good relationship with Rome, it had its own governing system, and that was uh, pretty important to this particular city. And it's in this city that Paul comes along with Silas, and they preach the good news. But if you were to read uh, Acts 17, what you would discover is after sharing the good news, there are a couple of people, the church, there are people who respond to the good news. We find that there are some prominent Jewish women who become part of the church, there are some God-fearers. God God-fearers were those people who said, we believe not just in lots of gods, we believe there must be one true God, and they would go to the Jewish synagogue, and so they were searching for God. And these are referred to uh, in the old King James as proselytes, uh, God-fearers. These people uh, were searching for God, and these people came to Christ. 
And so we see the church is made up of sort of a hodgepodge of, of different folks. But in the midst of that, Paul preaches, and we read in, uh, in the book of Acts, that as a result, the Jewish people in this particular city got very upset that Paul was preaching that there was a Messiah, there was a king, and his name was Jesus. So it says that there was an unruly mob uh, who chased them out of town. So Paul goes and plants his church, but only three weeks he's there. He doesn't run a full eight-week discipleship course. He doesn't have time for membership, but he shares the very gospel with them. He's run out of town. He and Silas, they escape. And so bad or so mad are the, the Jewish people that they go to Berea, 50 kilometers away, that the Jewish people chase them all the way to Berea. Now, eventually, Paul is probably writing this letter from Corinth, but uh, Paul and uh, Silas there, they were known entities to the church that they're writing. They've got a passion and a compassion for those to whom they're writing. So Paul, though, begins after this brief introduction. He greets them with the traditional grace and peace to you. But then he starts, and this is where the whole emphasis in this first chapter of Thessalonians is found, is we thank God. or We always thank God for you. This is a thanksgiving prayer. Now, ordinarily, you might say, uh, if you were just writing a letter in a secular context, you, you might just write one sort of blessing. I pray that you would be warm and filled, okay? I, I would, you know, if it was a secular letter, I wish that the gods would smile upon your face, okay? Or do, you know, give you lots of um, good beer or whatever they would do in secular context. Here, though, Paul gives us verse after verse after verse by saying, this is why I'm thankful to God for you. And he's thankful to God for these five elements, or at least five elements, that demonstrate what a healthy and a holy church looks like. And the first is what we find there in verse 3. And I would suggest that a healthy church, first of all, is spiritually fruitful. A healthy or a holy church is spiritually fruitful. Look at verse 3. We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. Faith, love, and hope. Now, if you've read the New Testament before, you would know these three virtues. You remember 1 Corinthians, sometimes read at weddings, 1 Corinthians 13, the great love chapter. It talks about faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. Faith, hope, and love were three virtues or practices that identified the Christian. And here, Paul opens up, by saying, you have these elements. You are identified by these things. There's a good thing going on in your life, and you are, God is producing through that spiritual fruit. He's not talking to a people saying, we thank God for the fact that you have a church building, or we thank God, first of all, that you give generously, or we thank God that you have a great uh, preacher or great ministry. All of those things are good, but Paul's first point is saying you've got all the markers of genuine, authentic Christianity. Work produced by faith. The true church that is growing and healthy is producing spiritual fruit. Now, sometimes that will look like numbers, people growing, coming to Christ, as we'll see. But often, this has more to do with the character traits of spiritual fruit that take place in the life of the believer. You are laboring, he says. You have hope. Now, throughout the book, interestingly enough, he'll say, go on a bit further, guess what? Your faith is doing really well. It's growing. Your love 
is growing and continue to do that. And it seems that hope is where they drop the ball a little bit. So chapter 4 and chapter 5, he'll say, this is why our hope is in the Lord Jesus and our return. But all of that to say, beginning with, Paul's first of all, his first observation about the, the, the church that is healthy is it's spiritually fruitful. Faith, hope, and love are character traits that designate that this church is going somewhere and it's got God's good hand of blessing. And I would suggest to you, we'll do a bit of a spiritual health check right at the end of the message, but I, I, we'll zoom out here and look at what God says about a healthy church. But in the church, it's made up of contributing members. And so this will be the challenge to you. As now, sometimes when we, we come to church, we want to look around and some of us almost act like spiritual fruit inspectors, okay? We want to evaluate fruit in the life of other people. I would suggest sometimes even when we hear a sermon, we say, oh man, this is a good sermon for Gary. I really hope Gary's listening to this. Or, you know, this is a, a, a really great sermon. You know, I hope Italo is really paying attention to this. No, this is something where we need to evaluate ourselves. Faith, hope, and love. That's a sign of somebody who is walking in step with the Lord. That's a sign of a healthy church. But there's a second observation I make in this, and that is a healthy church is the work of God. A healthy church is the work of God. Look again at verse 4. For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. Many years ago, I owned a motorcycle. Uh, more technically, it was a scooter, uh, but I, I still call it a motorcycle. Uh, but here's the thing. I had this nice red Vespa, and it was great. I'd ride around town on my Vespa. One day, I was riding through the city, and I came to Leichhardt, and I was going uh, there on the city link, and the lights uh, had gone red, and I noticed in front of me there was a motorcycle gang. They all had jackets. They all had very big and very loud motorcycles. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to get in the mix. So I went right up in the middle of them in my red Vespa, pulled right up to the front, looked over at the guy next to me, this heavily tattooed guy on his big Harley revving it up. I looked at him, gave him the head nod. (laughs) He looked back at me, gave me the head nod. I looked over at the other guy on the other side, looked at him. He looked back at me. You see, there's something special when you're part of the two-wheel world. It's the motorbike guys and scooters against the world. But there's something nice about being part, an unwritten part, where you're part of a bigger community. And this is what Paul is going to say in regards to the Thessalonian church and why he's going to provide encouragement. He's going to say, you are part of a work that God is doing. You are part of God's family. You are part of a collective that is bigger than yourself. He uses the words here or the phrase here, brothers and sisters. Uh, This is the old school language of King James brethren. Uh, I say brethren and sisteren, okay? It's brothers and sisters. This is a, a family term that is used many times in the New Testament. In fact, 21 times in the letter of Thessalonians, Paul uses this phrase. And he's talking here in family language, but we are family, you'll notice even in verse 1, to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father. We are part of a collective. See, many of us, we we think that Christianity is just about individuals. Well, there's a component to that, but in God's providence, as we see and are reminded of here, we are 
part of God's work, which is a new humanity made up of Jew, Gentile, of all different folks, but we are part of a community. This is God's work. The language here of being even brothers and sisters has the idea at the backdrop that we've been adopted into God's family. He's welcomed us into his, his family. It says here we are loved by God. This is passive. We don't do the acting here. God does the loving of us. And that is a sign of a church that is healthy. That is God is involved in loving, in keeping, in growing his people. He has chosen you. This is language of election. This is language, in fact, of the Old Testament that was used of the people of Israel. And now Paul applies it to the people of God in the New Testament. He says, you are the chosen ones. It doesn't matter your ethnicity. The healthy church is part of God's elective and divine work. The promises that he makes to you are that you are his people. We see it's with the power of the Holy, the power and the Holy Spirit, deep conviction. The healthy church is a place where God is at work. Again, a healthy check for this church, like any church, is to say, is God at work? That's why it's so encouraging not just to hear about the trip to the Philippines, but whether it's the, uh, the, the mother's group, whether it's Aloha Care reaching out to the community. It's always encouraging to see how God has his fingers all over this church doing his work. And the prayer is that that wouldn't stop, but that, that would continue to grow. And that's a sign of a healthy church, that God is doing his work. A healthy church is spiritually fruitful, but a healthy church is also the work of God. Thirdly, a healthy church stays strong under pressure. A healthy church stays strong under pressure. Verse 6, you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcome the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. Here's the thing. When the Thessalonian believers first trusted in Christ, this was a very difficult thing for them. You see, we don't really feel it as much, though some people even in this room might be from different cultural contexts where this is a big issue. But for the Thessalonians to, to announce, I'm going to follow the one true God and I'm going to follow Jesus Christ meant denying all other gods. That meant you were ostracized by your family. You were booted out. You were isolated. And it meant trial and suffering. And here, Paul is going to say, you know what the sign of a healthy church is? That it's going through hardship. But it's trusting the Lord. It's persevering in the face of of suffering. Now, one of the joys and challenges that you and I are facing in our modern-day cultural context is that if we're going to follow and take seriously the teachings of the Lord Jesus, it is going to be less and less popular in the day that we live. You see, we live in a day where the world's got its own narrative, it's got its own storyline, it wants its own kingdom, it has its own values, and guess what? It doesn't want to submit to King Jesus. It wants a utopian or a blessed kingdom, a blessed society, but it doesn't want the king ruling it. And if you say, and we've seen this uh, in all sorts of levels in our community, if you are vocal about who Jesus is or what he's done, or the fact that he is the only way, that is not going to go down well. It didn't go down well for the Thessalonians as they preached and shared the gospel in their context. But here's the good news. 
The fact that they preached and proclaimed and were undergoing persecution, Paul says, guess what? You're doing a good thing. It's a sign of a healthy church that you are holy and you are distinct and you are separate. Now, this doesn't mean we should go out pushing for spiritual fights, but we are called to be different. We are called to be holy. In fact, if we were to go through the whole book of Thessalonians, we would discover that's the main theme of the book. You have been called, he says in chapter 2, to live holy lives. Holiness, we sang earlier on about God's nature being holy, certainly in, in 1 Peter 3, uh, we are, which is a quote from the Old Testament, uh, we are called to be holy just as God is holy. Holy means distinct. So even in English, we sometimes people refer to somebody being a holy man. It means they're a different sort of person. We refer to the Bible as the holy Bible. The word Bible just means book. Holy Bible. This is not just any book. This is a special book. Even the English word, holy day. I'm not sure if you've ever stopped to think about that, but it's, it's just old English saying it's not just a run-of-the-mill day. It's a holy day. It's a separate day. It's a distinct day. If you are going to live lives of holiness, you will be met with hardship. There are many things people sometimes present Christianity as, this is a, your best life now, or this is a, a good option. You want to maximize your life. This is how to live. Paul would say, if you live a holy life, expect suffering. He praises them because they became imitators of Paul and Silas. But more than that, you've become imitators of the Lord Jesus. He's saying, don't be discouraged, but rather this is a sign of a healthy church, that it's not all easy, but you are preaching the gospel and you are being holy. Charles Spurgeon puts it this way. He says, I have learned to kiss the wave that throws me against the rock of ages. I love that phrase. I've learned to kiss the wave that throws me against the rock of ages. When hardship comes, one of the beauty of hardship is that it forces us back to trust in Christ. That is the sign of a healthy church. It stays strong under pressure. <coughs> Fourthly, a healthy church is made up of transformed people. Look at verse 9. For they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us, and they tell us how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and the true God. The church at Thessalonica that Paul is praising is not made up necessarily of people who have been Christians for 30 years. That's a good thing, but that's not who he's praising. He's praising a young Christian community, and one of the reasons he praises them is because there's been genuine transformation in their life. Now, if you were to read 2 Thessalonians you'll discover there's still some things they need to work out. 1, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, their understanding of hope and, and what, what about the dead in Christ. There's still things that they need to learn. But Paul takes great delight to say a healthy church is made up of transformed people, people who are being transformed, but also those that have been transformed. And in this community, there were people who had moved from death to life. That move from darkness to light, from the kingdom of this world to the kingdom of God's dearly beloved Son, the Lord Jesus. Now, that meant repentance. They had truly said, you know what? We value Christ more than we do these 25 other deities. We value Christ, even if that means being ostracized, rather than living well in our community. And I would suggest that even here at Alawa, one of the signs that God is doing his work is that he's bringing about transformation. 
And that shows itself in repentance, the changing of ways, the growing of God's people. Now, that's a regular growing where even week by week as you're in Bible studies and you come and you hear the scriptures that God is doing a work in your life, bringing transformation, but there should also be evidences of people who are coming to faith. And again, Paul's not interested in numbers, but he's going to say that is a healthy sign of a church, that in your context and community, people are trusting Jesus Christ. What's a healthy church look like? It's spiritually fruitful. It's a place where God is at work. It's a place that stands strong under pressure, but it's also made up of people who are being transformed and have been transformed. Lastly, a healthy church yearns for something better. A healthy church yearns for something better. Uh, One of the the prayers that we would uh, pray every day at the school that I uh, did my last little bit of schooling at in New Zealand, the Lord's Prayer. It was a, a Methodist school and uh, every day we'd have chapel, and I remember it'd be school stand, and it was, we'd all have to stand up, and the, the principal would come in like Darth Vader with his robes, and you dare not, you know, be talking or anything like that. But one, one of the things in the chapel service, we'd pray the Lord's Prayer. Now, most of us just said it just almost like a, um, something you just had to say and repeat, like you would re- you know, repeat the national anthem or do something like that. But as I've grown as a Christian, I've come to discover the Lord's Prayer is a valuable framework to to help us think through what it means to follow the Lord and how to trust in God in our day-to-day lives. But one part of the Lord's Prayer that is really beautiful is it says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's a yearning for something better. We want your kingdom to come. Your kingdom as it is now, we want that to be true in our present reality. This is what we find in Romans 8, where creation groans and longs for the day when the sons and daughters of God will be revealed, when Jesus will return and make all things new. That is a sign of a Christian community, not that they're settled down and say, hey, this is it, live your best life now for 60, 70, 80 years. The Christian community that is healthy has a larger vision of God's greater plan and has a hope firmly fixed on things that will not perish but things that will last for all of eternity. He says there in verse 10, he talks about how they turn from God, uh, turn to God rather from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead. In the town of Thessalonica, uh, one of the things about, because it had such a great relationship with the Romans, uh, they had this thing called the parousia, the appearing, and they longed for the day when the emperor would come to their village. And what they would do when the emperor would come, they would go outside of the village, they would meet the emperor, and they would come back with the emperor in great pomp and circumstance. This is what Paul will pick up in chapter 4. He will say, you know, what you guys think about the emperor? No, 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 let's raise it a bunch of notches. It's, that's just a parody. The real emperor, the emperor of emperor, the king of kings, Jesus, he will come and he will greet you and you will come and you'll be with him forever and ever. They were hoping for the appearing. And here, though, Paul will say to the Christian community, you know why you guys are doing really well? Because you're not desiring the appearing of an emperor. You're looking and waiting and living expectantly in light of the true king, the true emperor above all emperors. And one of the signs of a healthy church and of healthy individuals within the church is a, a, a yearning for something that is better. 
So when you turn on the TV, uh, even this morning as I just had a quick glance at the newspaper and uh, in the state of Texas where I was just a month or so ago, somebody walks into a Walmart, shoots 20 people dead, and you read that, and that should give you that yearning for, Lord, come Lord Jesus. We want your kingdom to come and your will to be done on earth. We don't want to live in this context where this is just normal. We don't want to live in a context where cancer reigns. We don't want to live in a context where there's, there's poverty and injustice. The Christian community has a healthy longing and desiring for the Lord to return and make things new. A healthy church, spiritually fruitful. A healthy church, it's where God is at work. A healthy church stays strong under pressure. A healthy church is made up of transformed people. And lastly, a healthy church yearns for something better. About two years ago, I, or a year and a half ago, I signed up for a course uh, with the local Canterbury Bankstown Bulldogs. And the good news is we're not going to get the wooden spoon this year, I'm pretty sure. Uh, but I've done a little bit of uh, stuff over there. And one of the things that I was involved uh, doing this special health program with the Bulldogs, they sent out a survey to members. We're looking for people 25 to 55, so I just made it on the 25-year-old end, okay? And, and so it was a health program. And here's the thing about the health program. We went in, they would weigh you, they would do your heart check, they would do things. And at the end of the 10-week uh, course, they did the same thing. They, they weighed you, they tested your heart, and they took measurements and all of this stuff because what they wanted to see was, are you healthy? And if you're not healthy, are you becoming more healthy? Here's a spiritual health check for each of you in Ulloa this morning. This is where I want to land the sermon on application because this is not just a sermon for somebody else. You are part of God's people. You are part of his church. So let's run through this criteria uh, again. A healthy church is spiritually fruitful. Health check. Are you growing and are, is God producing fruit in your life? Are you more patient are you more loving? Are you more kind? Are you more generous? For the Thessalonians, faith, hope, and love were evidence in their life. Not just the glory days of, you remember way back when, when we really loved the Lord. No, this was a present experience. Health check, not for the person next to you, but for you. Are you growing spiritually? Is God doing a work? Is God at work in this church and is God at work in your life? I remember hearing at least uh, one sermon, or one preacher that I loved. He was just the best guy. He was this old Irish evangelist that I, I mentioned before. But one of the funny things about his sermons were it didn't matter what the preaching, what the sermon, he told a story about his dad who was a drunk in Ireland and, you know, drunk away the family inheritance. And it was always great. didn't matter what the sermon. It could be Genesis 1-1, in the beginning God created the heavens and earth, and eventually it somehow get to that, that point. Now, one of the things about uh, this guy that was, was great, he'd preach these sermons, they're always full of fire. But the thing I loved about him, he was 74, 75 years old, but he always had a new story, apart from those illustrations, he always had a new story about how he shared Jesus. And at one level, it was always a little... Uh, confronting and a bit challenging because he would, he would literally be like this. He'd say, yeah, I caught the bus the other day and I got on the bus and two stops later I'd led two people to the Lord, including the bus driver. And he'd be like, oh, you'd feel like such a bad thing. But, but here's the thing. Uncle Cess, this guy, he would just preach the gospel. 
And even though he was towards the golden end of his, his years, God was at work in his life and he would always tell stories of that. I don't want to tell stories of what God did in my life 15 years ago. What is God doing in my life now? What is he doing in your life now? Not what did he do 20 years ago, but is he at work? Because that's a sign of a healthy individual within a healthy church. A healthy church stays strong under pressure. That's getting tougher and tougher to live in our context where you say Jesus is Lord and all these other gods and idols are not. If you're not facing any pressure, it may be a sign that you're not actually sharing about Jesus. Again, I just want to say to you, if you're going through hardship and you're going through challenge and it's got to do with Christ, you're in a good spot because you're in good company. Paul was persecuted, suffered hardship, the Thessalonians did, and they were following our Lord Jesus. Transformed people. The church is made up of transformed people. First of all, with you. Is God transforming you? Do you come and hear sermons and, and just, you know, I do this for a living actually. I, I teach people amongst other things preaching. And so I listen to uh, more sermons than I'd like to. Uh, and, and I hear sermons and part of my job is to critique the method and how people go about it. But I don't want to get to the place where I just come to church with my heresy antennas on saying, okay, what three things did the preacher do wrong? I want to come and make sure I'm sitting, even if it's a lousy sermon, I do hear some of those, even if it's not, not altogether clear, I still want to put myself under the Word of God to say this sermon is not for somebody else but for me. God, how do you want to transform me? How is God transforming you? Is it he's chipping away at you saying, you know what, you need to forgive that person? He might be chipping away at you saying, you know what, you give to the church but you're sort of just giving what you have on, on the day and you're not intentional about your giving? Or you've been giving. Now, I've been challenged by this, uh, even myself, this last week. Okay, we've been giving and we give electronically. My, my wife and I, through what the Lord gives us, we, we give electronically, consistently, and, and over time. But you know what? I haven't bumped that up for a, for a little while. And I'm, fe- I'm feeling God just chipping away my heart, saying, don't hold on to money too, too much. Give, give, give. Transformation starts with you, and that transformation plays itself out in a church when you've got a bunch of transformed people. Lastly, do you yearn for something better? Because I fear for many of us, we just buy into the narrative of our society that says, you know what life's all about? It's about your superannuation and retiring well. Guess what? There's no guarantees on that. Death has a 100% success rate. One day I will die. I don't know when that will be, but neither do you. But I do know what the scriptures say, and that is there is a kingdom that will last forever. I want to invest in that. That's what Jesus will talk about. That's what Paul will talk about. Paul, in the book of Colossians, fix your eyes on things above, not below. Jesus will say, store up treasure for yourself in heaven not here below where thieves can steal and moth can destroy. Friends, do you yearn for something better and does it show in your own life? One of the things that's very common at the moment in Australian context is when you turn the TV on, we love to evaluate the voice. Will the person get a chair turned around? You know, there's Australia's Got Talent, there's a buzzer to hit. I even 
recently, you know, you go to any shop. I bought a kettle this week. And I go in, and before you even leave the shop, can you give me feedback and push the button over there and tell me what sort of experience you've had? I just bought a kettle. But we like to evaluate. What sort of church would God give a five-star rating to? Not necessarily a church that's big. Not necessarily a church that's got a great kids program. Not necessarily a church that has a fantastic preacher. What's the sort of church that God values? It's one that is healthy, where God does his work through transformed people who value Jesus more than they do their own lives. My prayer is that when I come back and visit next time at Aloha, that you would continue to be growing in these areas, both as individuals, but collectively as a community for the honour of the Lord Jesus.